everyone. Welcome back to the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher Podcast. We're already on episode three of our second season and the hits just keep on coming because today we have a hot topic and that is Arioso from First Steps in Music. But before that, let me just keep it real with you in a related note. You'll hear me talk about this in the interview itself, but I have to admit that for a few years with First Steps and Arioso in particular, I kind of totally missed the part where you're supposed to spend time prepping the kids before officially diving in with intentional attempts at spontaneous tunes. Whoops. So I thought you just kind of start doing the hummingbird things with them or just have them sing about their day. And obviously you can do that and there are people who do that. But as you'll hear in the interview, once I learned that taking the time to prepare the kids for Arioso uh, at the same time you're working the workout of first steps, meaning you're just doing the work, the workout of first steps, the regular lessons, you're going to see such a better result. This makes so much sense to me now uh, because many of my students, and honestly, I struggled because I hadn't really prepared them. Plus, they had only just arrived to me in kindergarten or first grade, and they were struggling on the whole with tunefulness. So here I am asking them suddenly to be singing, and they could do it, and uh, they made their attempts. But once I've learned to practice and prepare for it, their attempts at Arioso are so much more musical. So listen closely in this episode to John talk about this crucial prep time. You're not going to waste effort doing this. You're simply building their melodic vocabulary even more. And by doing that, you're giving them more choices once it's their turn to create tunes. So let's get to the conversation, which I'm going to advise you might want to digest in chunks because there is a lot to take in. Enjoy. So here we are. I'm glad that I could come here. Uh, and talk to you. And today we're going to talk about something that lots of people love to talk about. Um, as I sometimes say in my classes, if you are a person who does Arioso and it's an easy thing for you and you've barely thought twice about it, you know, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> because there are not a lot of people who feel like that. I shouldn't say that. There are a lot of people who get nervous about Arioso, which is why I'm always forcing Dr. Farabin to talk about this. <laughs> and um, I know that because we've been doing a lot of work in the past four years, at least, in talking about it more, you've done um, fireside chats, which FAME members can access on the website. We've done Facebook Lives where we've talked about that. Uh, it's in the Fire Robin Fundamentals book. Certainly it's in the Green book, you know, talking about it. Um, but as I am wont to do, I would like you um, to think about the possibility of being at a conference, meeting somebody who says, so what is this Arioso thing I'm, ta- I'm always hearing about? Can you just talk about what you might say to them? What is Arioso? Well, first of all, the word Arioso might be um, familiar or unfamiliar to people. Um, I found the word in the history of Western music by Donald J. Grout uh, in the chapter on opera. He explains that uh, in opera we had recitatives and arias. Uh, Recitatives were sung on a couple of pitches leading into the song, the aria. 
But about 100 years into opera, there was an idea that recitatives didn't have to be sung on just two pitches, uh, but they could be sung on more than two pitches, and they could be more melodic than just going back and forth between two pitches. Okay. And these new melodic recitatives were called ariosos. So in, in comparing the form of recitative and arioso and aria, I thought that arioso best reflected what it was that I was expecting children to be able to create. I wanted them to create tunes that were more elaborate than recitative. Recitative is just going back and forth between two notes. And I saw most children in their early attempts at doing this, creating spontaneous songs, would do recitative. They would sing just between two notes. Most teachers, when they first try to do this, end up being recitative singers. Um, uh, it might be, uh, I, I usually hear it's on tonic and dominant. So they go, I was going to the store and then I went to the store and I bought some eggs and mom made some fried eggs for me. And, then, and so everyone thinks, well, that's what we want kids to do. Well, sort of, because now we have the children at least singing and making right. something up. But what they're singing is not very interesting or musical. It, that would be what I call recitative singing, just going between two pitches. But to add additional notes uh, is what I'm after. Um, making up a tune with just two pitches is like making up a sentence with two words. Right. And it can't be a very interesting sentence if sure. you're making It's a sentence. Two oh. words. It's, it's a, a sentence. sentence. It's a start. Drink milk. Right. <laughs> milk, milk, drink, drink. My drink cup. Milk, milk, drink, milk. Yes. Milk, 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 drink. <laughs> Drink milk. So it's still not very interesting. So the more tones that can be included in their spontaneous creation, and I guess that's the second thing. So the word itself comes from opera. It's, uh, it's a more melodic recitative, but it's not so structured as an aria. An aria usually has formal structure and rhyme schemes and repeated patterns. While some children do make up tunes that have more structure, and I would call those arias, um, most children are capable of doing arioso, whereas not all of them are capable of doing aria. Um, so the, the goal is to uh, at least have everybody arrive at the arioso stage and some onto the aria stage and move as many as possible out of the recitative stage. So that's where the word comes from. But the actual notion of what arioso is, is uh, the... The highest form of thinking, the highest form of musical thinking, is original thought. Um, and so First Steps in Music has easy, moderate, and difficult challenges. Uh, my doctoral dissertation uh, explored what would happen if you taught children with just easy material or you taught children with easy, moderate, and difficult material. And the groups that were taught with easy, moderate, and difficult material made more gains both in their aural recognition of music and their ability to sing back patterns in an echo experience. So easy, moderate, and difficult res resulted in more growth than just doing easy things. So First Steps in Music includes easy, moderate, and difficult challenges for students. The simple songs are the easy songs. Those are little three-note songs, and everybody should be able to access those without too much effort. The moderate material would be some of the finger plays and action songs, maybe some of the more advanced echo songs that have wider ranges, but they're still not terribly challenging. And the difficult material would be when you ask the children to perform at the highest level of function, and that would be arioso. That would be the most challenging for children to create original thought. But it would be, and because it, it's the highest form of thinking, but it would be um, 
a good thing to stretch children and ask them to, to attempt to do that. Now, I guess the best way to think about arioso is, again, to compare it to language, because we can teach you words in a foreign language. Uh, a pencil is a crayon in French, or a table is a tab. Um, and then I can ask you to put those words together into sentences. The more words you know, the more interesting your sentences are going to be. It's the same in movement exploration. The more ways you know to move, the more your creative movement can be successful. So if I want Arioso to be creative, children are going to need to know a wide vocabulary of possibilities, which means they're going to need to know lots of songs. The more songs they know, the more interesting their own made-up songs can become. And we see that. I have these recordings that I play in my seminars of four-year-olds making up songs. And you can hear the ones that have progressed onto the Arioso stage uh, imitating characteristics of songs. They might alternate between tonic and dominant functions in their own created song. They may repeat patterns. They may look for rhyme schemes. They may look, one child made up ABA form right. for a song. And none of that was taught to them formally. Those were yeah. just Things they heard. structures <laughs> in songs they heard. Yeah. So the more songs you hear, the more options you have when it comes time to make up your own. Just like language, the more words you know, the more interesting sentences you can create. So the journey for Arioso in the elementary school or the preschool goes from how do you get it started, how do you advance it, and how do you bring it to the highest level possible. It is listed as a part of First Steps in Music, and it is intended to be one of the higher challenges in the half hour. But Arioso should continue throughout the elementary years. As students go on to conversational solfege, and we mentioned this a little bit in the other podcast, uh, in conversational solfege, we're asking students to create, improvise at step five, right. eventually write that down even at step 12 in composing. But at step five, when you're creating original tunes, it's within guidelines. It's can you create a tune that uses these rhythms? Can you create a tune that uses these pitches? And those are appropriate improvisations, but those are improvisations with a lot of restrictions. Can you improvise with these restrictions? And pretty much they're going to be pretty simple improvisations because in the early stages, the rhythms and the melodic pitches that they know are going to be quite limited. But Arioso, if they were doing it at the same time, would free them to use any rhythms right. and any melodies. And that is more like we do in language. Um, children know thousands of words in language before they come to school, and they know how to improvise with language. They can express their thoughts, and they know how to pull words together to express those thoughts without much effort by the time they are ready to enter school. But that's an aural, an ear sure. approach to language. That's what arioso is, an ear approach to tune. Um, and children should have the same broad experience with tune that they have with language and not be limited just to improvising what they can read and write. Uh, when children come to school, after they've learned thousands of words and they know how to improvise with language, they start to learn there's a way you can see language. It's called the alphabet. Let's practice writing some simple little words and spell some simple little words. And the sentences that children will be asked to make up that they can write are going to be very simple right. little sentences. And while it's a necessary stage to go through writing simple sentences before you write more difficult sentences, it's still going to be for a long period of time yeah. just really simple stuff. And not necessarily reflect, reflective of what they can say, what, what they're able no, to say. Just We don't want to limit your language right. to what you can yeah, read and write. Yeah, we don't write. say like, okay, you can only use 
sentences with four words and you know just make sure that there's a noun a verb you know and it has to be what you can read and write right so exactly. you can only speak words that you can read and write <laughs> right. which is just nuts yeah. isn't it so following a parallel model if we do this in language so naturally and we have lots of words and we can improvise with language before we learn to read and write but later on when we learn to read and write we write a composition or we write how i spent my summer vacation based on the words that we have learned to read and write so conversational selfish is the reading and writing part it's the limited based on what you can read and write and can you improvise within those parameters and that's an important stage to go through and as they learn to read and write more advanced rhythms and melodic patterns they will be able to improvise with more advanced right. symbolic patterns but arioso right from the beginning and all the way through has no limitations on it at all it is simply if you can think it sing it sing it and therefore we're able to get more sophisticated tune out of children than just those simple ones that are based on the rhythms and melodies that are presented in the early units of conversational solfege okay okay so it looks like we're done here so no, <laughs> no I'm, I'm kidding yes. no, no no i'm kidding so now that we've kind of talked again about you know what it is kind of how you came to it and like i said there's plenty of information for people who who want to know that so that can be found and we've also talked about it what i want to talk to you about is um two things why you think people are so nervous about doing arioso and the i think the missing content that people don't skip over or don't know which is preparation mm -hmm. the beginning of the year and that i've hearing i'm hearing from a lot of people's like I never thought about that, and that's changed everything. Just taking this time in the beginning of the year before jumping into it. Um, so can we talk about why people are nervous about it, and then... Well, I think there are many reasons why people are nervous about it. Usually it's fear of the unknown. Um, teachers have not been asked to spontaneously make up tunes right. themselves. When they were children. When, ever. <laughs> right. That's when they I mean. were children or when they were in college yeah. or ever. It's right. just not something that's part of our training. So the idea of uh, spontaneously making up tune is frightening. Um, I remember Chris Azera saying, when you mentioned improvisation to teachers, usually two four-letter words come yes. to mind, <laughs> jazz and fear. Right, exactly. Uh, and I and maybe think, not in that order. <laughs> no. and, and it's interesting. Both of them are incorrect, of right. course, because there's nothing to fear. And improvisation isn't just jazz, of course. It's right. in folk music and classical music, and mm. it's in most forms of music. Um, but I think teachers are, are afraid. Uh, it's fear why they're uncomfortable with it. And those that have uh, jumped right in and tried it, um, after a short period of time, they start to find out there's not so much to fear. Um, and, and students can sense the fear in their teacher as well. And if we want students to feel comfortable with it, the teacher can't project the fear. Exactly. So I think, and maybe you've said this, uh, teachers should practice this. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, I was going to ask you, what could a teacher do to practice? You know, and I, uh, you mentioned also, you were remembering a story I told about my son, Andrew. Uh, when, when he was four, <laughs> we played it. a game called Take It. Oh, I thought it was Catch It. And it's called Take It. Oh, but, okay, but that's... <laughs> The concept the same is concept. the same. So he and I, and it was, it was just as much for me to practice as it was for him. So I would drive him to school, his preschool. He was maybe not quite four yet. And we would be driving when we'd play a game called Take It. And I just introduced it to him to say, look, I'm going to sing everything. And when I'm tired, I'm going to say, take it. 
and then it's your turn for a while. Oh. And when you're tired, you say, take it. Right. And then I'll do it for a while. So, oh, look, I see a fire engine up the road. I think it's headed to your school. I hope your school's not on fire. Take it. <laughs> and you go, oh, I hope it is on fire because I've never seen a fire. It'll be so exciting to see a fire and maybe see the fire engines too. Take it. Well, if that happened, then you'd have to go home and mom would find lots of chores for you to do. Do you really want that to happen? Take it. Oh, I suppose. I, anyway, we would yeah. just go back and forth playing this game called Take It. And it gave me a chance to practice. It gave him a chance to practice. And I got better hmm. and better and better. Um, there are other uh, awarenesses that happened over the years. They didn't all happen within a week or a month. They happened over decades. Um, and that was sometimes, as I mentioned earlier, I'd find myself and others that I was trying to get to do this, they would fall into the rut of what I call yodeling between two notes. Right, so they would, which many teachers. All right? of a sudden, we're doing recitative again. <laughs> um, and I, I, I thought about this for a while, and I started to think if I accompanied myself, I was using auto harp. I think you use ukulele. Mm-hmm. Um, if you accompany yourself and you're strumming a tonic chord, uh, that, that will still reinforce uh, yodel singing, either so do, so do, so do, or so me, so me, so right. me. One of those two. That's my, that's my personal. You're favorite. just gonna <laughs> you're gonna fall back into this little echoing between two pitches, and that's not really making up a tune. Uh, that's not arioso. Right. That's recitative. So to make it arioso, I used to say just add a step. If you're singing bum 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 bum, which is is a skip, right. add a step. It could be a step up, a step down, Anything. from either of the two pitches. So it could be bum 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 or bum 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 right. or bum bum bum. Just add a step, and all of a sudden you have a tune, yeah. and it's now it's arioso. It was as easy as just adding a step. Mm-hmm. The next thing was strumming a chord on a tonic chord. Again, it's going to reinforce just those tones of the tonic. So low, so up to do, or so me, and. If you really want to force children to use more tones than that, just switch to dominant chord. Mm. And as I'm strumming now dominant chord, me doesn't fit. And they're going, me can't happen when a dominant chord is being sounded. And it forces them into the other pitches. So it's another trick. If you have students that are stuck at the recitative stage and you're trying to help them discover how to use more pitches than just tonic tones. Now, now, I'm sorry, but let's talk about the teachers. Let's say you're a teacher who wants to practice. Same how thing. could you use GarageBand at All home? Right. I think it's a good idea. You know, a uh, long time ago, 30 years maybe more, Jim Froseth put together some recordings for this purpose, and they were simply accompanying tracks that you would improvise over. Do they still have... I, I, think I think they still, still sell around, it. Right? Yeah, I do. He he did it with Phyllis Weikert for a movement DVD. Um, he originally had written it for improvisation, and then they repurposed it for with a, a, a product that he and Phyllis Weikert worked on together for moving on the beat. But if you listen to those tracks for the moving on the beat that he co-authored with with uh, Phyllis Weikert, they're all listed by tonality and harmonic function. So here's mixolydian with a tonic and subtonic. Here is major with tonic and dominant. So I'm not suggesting that you get the recording, although that would be an ideal thing. Get this recording and try improvising along with these harmonic backgrounds. But the easy thing, like you mentioned with GarageBand, set up an ostinato. Just I would go one 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 five 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 one 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 five five one one. 
with that pattern over and over and over and over again, and then start improvising while you're hearing bum 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 bum. Could you still get into a rut with that then? Yeah, you could go bum 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 That's probably what would happen. But you still made that up. Sure. And it's still more than two pitches. Right. So as long as you're creating a, a, a set of harmonies that include tonic and dominant, it will help move beyond recitative. Yeah. So I use GarageBand a lot just because it can be on my iPad and it's, I can just it's carry easy. it around with me. And um, I could use guitar. I could use auto harp, ukulele. Right. Uh, I could Accordion. use barred instruments. I, I wouldn't. I could use... <laughs> um, I could do bordoons on oh. tonic and dominant on xylophones while children okay. are doing that. Um, as long as they they have to be a little familiar with the progression, so in their mind they can anticipate. Here's where I'm going to change to right. something. They don't need to know the words tonic and dominant. Of course, they don't need to know any of the theory or or the note names. They don't need to know any of that. It's the sound of music that we're after. So they need to hear. I hear these sounds, and now I hear different sounds. Okay, so then let me ask you this, because we shifted from the teacher practicing to doing this with the kids. That's right. So I know the next. That's okay. Um, I know the next question, and it's a question I have, is how do you introduce using an instrument? How often? When should you be doing it? Because there's also this feeling of when I'm just freestyling with my voice. Mm -hmm. um, so let's just talk about when. Well, I, I think it's not a bad idea to at first do instruments. I think really? that's the, Yeah, I, I think the instrumental accompaniment are the training wheels. <gasps> That's a kind of a new piece of information mm -hmm. for me. And then you want to try to do less and less accompaniment. That makes more sense. Yeah, because I think they need the stability. Even in my Harmony and Improvisation book that I've no, just written. We'll be talking about that um, I talk, I, tell, I say to the teacher using the book, they might want to sit at the piano and provide the harmonic accompaniment at the keyboard while the students are improvising mm. just to keep the tonality and the harmony in the students' ears while they're improvising. I'm not giving them any pitches. I'm just grounding them in the tonality and the key. And I think the instrument is very helpful for beginners. And then as they become more tonally grounded, right. then they're able to do it more a cappella. Okay, so let me think. Now we got to, for dummies, for dummies. For dummies is me, not him, me. So I'm a new teacher. I'm... Uh, you know, starting kindergarten, I'm going to do first steps. Let's, we'll put aside the preparation part. Let's say we're kind of past the prep. I mean, we'll talk about that. But let's say I'm, I'm ready to dive into, you know, part five, arioso. Arioso, starting with humming or neutral syllable. So. You it? should have some harmonic accompaniment. I'm just saying that's kind of a big thing. But let me say this. Uh, you know the preparation you said? We're not talking right. about the preparation? We will. But. During the preparation stage when students are first attempting this, I would do it without accompaniment. That's what I mean. Let so, them just have a little baby time yes, of yes. what is this going to be like to find my right. voice and to put some sounds yeah. out that I'm making up on my own. And no, it's not going to have a tonality. It's not going to be tonal centered. It's not going to have structure. But I think that's a baby step before I put the training wheels on. And then I say, now let's see if you can really do this. Okay, so I don't think it really starts I, until there's accompaniment. I, I'm going to then go backwards. Let's do this for dummies like me. Uh, let's go. I'm starting in September. How, and this is the part I think many, many, many people for, or either don't know or didn't listen to. Yeah. 
what is preparation and how long does it last? Arioso preparation. Uh, it's a, just a recommendation on my part. I can't tell you that I have any research to support this. Sure. Uh, uh, I, the preparations that I like to do, oh, at least a month, maybe two months. And it depends. Right. If, am I doing this in kindergarten or first grade right. or third, three-year-olds? But let's just say it's your first year with whatever grade. Whatever. Well, it's going to depend on whatever I grade. I know. But if it's your first year in the public school, kindergarten, first grade, let's use the, that audience. Yes. Kindergarten, first grade. A month, a month and a half. But that's good because some people will ask, do you mean one lesson? No. You know, is it until March? <laughs> no, so, I think they need several lessons. Yes. Uh, and and say, that's why I say a month, a month and a half. Now, is that once a week or twice a week? Well, I don't you, know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I just, feel good enough that I got you to say a month to two months. Several <laughs> lessons. Let's I'm say good with that. for several lessons, the introductory uh, uh, activities should be offered prior to asking the students to make an arioso attempt. And those are, the teacher should model this. So uh, the first month of school with kindergarten, oh, look, I've got this green and yellow basket, and I've got a little letter inside the basket. I'm going to walk around the circle and drop the letter behind somebody. And when I drop it behind you, pick it up and chase me. Jason, I dropped it behind you. Pick it up and chase me. See if you can catch me before I get to your spot. Jason, take the green and yellow basket and take the letter and drop it behind somebody. And if you find someone that you drop it behind, they'll chase you around the circle too. Hurry up and catch Jason. He's running around the circle. Janet, he dropped it behind you. You didn't see it. Go pick up the letter, Janet. And I'm just singing and singing and singing. So this is the first one I call this modeling. Model what this is. Spontaneously using song to make your point. I'm substituting speech for singing. Second step, is their awareness, and I only discovered this through my experience with having children do this, their awareness that it is singing and not speaking. Mm-hmm. And now this isn't for all children, but it is for some children. And more and more children. Some children, Happen. I'll say, um, can you sing for me three things you had for breakfast? And they'll go, mom made us some fried eggs and <laughs> she had uh, orange juice and a piece of toast. And then I'll say, did you sing that? And they'll go, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So their awareness of whether they are singing or not is they're not there yet. Uh, Helen Kemp uh, was one of the great children's choir directors. Uh, she had a technique. She mostly worked uh, with non-auditioned children. She worked in churches with children that wanted to sing. And so she had a special talent for bringing forward average children to become very musical. Mm. And one of the techniques that she used to help children get over this hurdle of, am I singing or speaking, was just to echo back and forth, I speak like this. The children say, I speak like this. I whisper like this. I whisper like this. I shout like this. I shout like this. I sing like this. And they would say, I sing like this. And then going back and forth, I speak like this. I speak like this. I sing like this. I sing like this. And so just in those first several lessons, the teacher is modeling, I'm singing instead of speaking, and that the students are aware of it, that they realize what the difference is between singing and speaking. And then the third and final uh, awareness that I think they need to have is a context. Uh, At this young age, they need to have, I call it a context. So they need a context, and in this context, what I mean by that is um, a believable reason to do this. Uh, are, are we doing this just because the teacher wants you to do it, or there's 
some more compelling reason. Right, right. And I think the more compelling reason is to create a context. My favorite one is there's a place called Arioso Land. And in Arioso Land, nobody speaks. They only sing, and they can't understand you unless you sing too. So I tell them, jokingly, um, I spend time in Arioso Land, and sometimes I'm there on weekends, and of course I'm singing everything so that they can understand me, and, I'm, and they're singing everything to me so I can understand them. And on Monday I come back to teach, and I sometimes forget I'm not there, and I'm still singing everything. So if I do that, make sure you tell me. <laughs> and that's part of their awareness of, is it singing or speaking? And they go, you're doing it again. What? What am I doing? You're singing everything. I was? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad, because you know it's embarrassing in the teacher's lounge right so they the they, they get yes and so <laughs> those first week weeks of school the teacher in every lesson should find some opportunity to model instead of singing instead of speaking singing whatever it is they want um, and then they should make sure the students understand the difference between singing and speaking and they should begin to create their context. Um, I use Arioso Land. There could be um, a, a singing chair. There could be a puppet called Senor Arioso. A friend of mine in Hawaii has a, a beach blanket on a beach towel on the floor in the corner, and it's mm-hmm. the Isle of Arioso, where students two at a time go over there and make up songs. When they're on the Isle of Arioso, you have to sing everything right. or they won't understand you. Right. So, sometime around several lessons later, maybe if I'm saying a month and a half, you might then begin to ask students to begin the journey of the highest form of musical thinking themselves, and if they can, now create original tune. And then we have these three different phases that have emerged over the years of uh, challenge for the students. Um, But then I want to just, for the dummies like me, we're not talking about the three different kinds of arioso. That's, or like the three different responses from students which as you said recitative no no this ario is... i mean um ugh, recitative Arios. arioso and aria right. now we're talking about something different and this is another thing i think people don't quite get or they don't pick up on it right away is okay there are these three it's almost three stages stages yeah and again people will say is this like every year i go through the three stages or is it depends? Oh boy, it depends. It depends. But generally speaking, you're generally speaking, through these the, three. they are phases, yes. and the first phase should be successful before the second phase, right, and that right. should be successful yes. before the third and also phase. that they take time. It's not um, this week we're doing phase one, and then we do phase two, and then we do phase three, no, and no. then we do it again. A, a general guide, <laughs> and you know I don't like to give specifics, a general guide would be to say if you're doing what I hope, and that is first steps in music in kindergarten and first grade, that you would do the first two phases in kindergarten and save the third phase for first grade. Sure. That would be my ideal recommendation. Right. But there will be kindergarten children that will be ready for phase three. Absolutely. And there will be first grade children right. that are not going to be ready and for then, phase so I three. I actually, in first in the second year I have them, I go back a little bit in the beginning of the year. And Absolutely. then we jet forward. I, but at least I want people to know it's not, okay, you have one month and they should be creating original ariosos by the end of the first month of the first year of first steps. Do you, do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. So I know you don't like to say like, it's rigid like this, but just a guideline. You know my favorite phrase. It it's depends. developmental. Oh. <laughs> it's developmental, not chronological. Right. No, and, and I get that. So when they develop phase two, then you try phase sure. three, regardless of chronological right. age. But what we do know is, anecdotally, we can see a general trend, which is it seems like in the first year of first steps, maybe that's kindergarten for you, 
the kids are going to do beautifully through the first two phases that we're going to talk about. So yes, go ahead. You want to hear about the three phases? I, I sure want to hear about those right. three phases. First phase. Um, I'd also like, if I may, to I love adding in the research justification when possible. So let me describe a little bit of the research that caused me to come up with these three phases. Um, Mary Getze, uh, in 1983, completed her doctoral dissertation. She and I did our dissertations the same year. Uh, she won Dissertation of the Year from the Council of Research and Music Education uh, that year for this very interesting research she did that impacted why I do Ariosa the way that I do. Um, in, she did two studies. Let me describe the first one. The one that she did for her dissertation, students were uh, in, involved in two different groups doing echo games. Uh, the echo games were something Kodai teachers do called question and answer, where the teacher sings a question on a little tune. What's your favorite color? And the students then use that tune to give an answer. My favorite color is purple. This is in Kodai circles called question and answer. So this question and answer technique she embodied with two different classes. Uh, one class over a period of weeks, she did the questions and answers. Who rode the bus to school? I rode the bus to school. Who has shoes on? I have shoes on. And she did a number of patterns where the students had to create words to answer using her tune. At the, uh, the other group, they never sang words. She would sing a pattern, bum, 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 and then the group would sing back, bum, 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 bum. She'd sing bum, 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 bum. They'd sing bum, 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 bum. At the end of the treatment period, a number of weeks, the students were brought in one at a time to echo patterns, and the group that had echoed without words echoed the patterns more accurately. And she won Dissertation of the Year for this research study. Who even knew there was such a thing as Dissertation of the Year? There is. I'm sure I would never have won that. And I remember Mary and I were on the National Code Board together at that time, and Mary said to me, I'm flattered that I won Dissertation of the Year, but the results are not what I expected. And I have another study I'm about to do because I think I know why this happened. So the first thing I want to say is there's a second study coming. I'm going to describe it in a minute. But meanwhile, a bunch of people <laughs> jumped on this research and misinterpreted it. What? Misinterpretation of research? Hmm. Never and heard of said, that. you should not sing words because it interferes with children's accuracy to echo patterns. Oh, I see where we're going. So this is a misinterpretation, and Mary knew it. So she did a second study to show where the misunderstanding was happening. Now I'll describe it and then I'll ask the audience if they can tell me what it is that had resulted in a different result. Okay, audience, I hope you're paying attention. Study number two. The first group of children, instead of doing question and answer activities, were simply given an echo song. I'm not really sure what echo song it was. Let's pretend it was um, oh, in the woods, oh, in the woods, oh, in the woods, there was a treat, there was a treat, the prettiest little treat, the prettiest little treat that you ever did see, that you ever did see. So one group did the echo song with words, and the other group did exactly the same song without words. So we had a group again with words and without words, and the same length treatment period, and the same study uh, exit test at the end. Okay. No difference between the groups. Zero difference between the groups. So here, 
we were using words and not words, but there was no difference between these two groups. What changed between the two studies? Well, why don't you tell us? I will give you the answer. And it is why Arioso has three phases. The answer is, we know that original musical thought is the highest form of thinking. Well, that's the same for language. Original language thought is the highest form of language thinking. And if you follow Howard Gardner's theory of multiple intelligences, language is linguistic intelligence and music is music intelligence. And when Mary is asking the students to create words, catch a tune, remember the tune, and create words, she's asking them to function not at the highest level of music, but right. the highest level of language, language. which uh -huh. is going to distract them from the tune. In the second study, they were not asked to use the highest form of language thinking. They were simply said, echo the words. And it didn't matter if you echoed words or you echoed no words, you still heard the tune equally precise. The only thing that caused interference with the tune is when I distracted your brain from the tune by asking you to think at the highest level of thinking by using words that you were creating. Creating words at the highest level distracted them from the tune. It wasn't the words, it was what I was asking them to do with the words that caused the effect. So for those people that still are misguided, thinking that children should perhaps sing songs without words. If they're basing it on Mary Getze's first research study, they should read her second study That's right. and discover that it was only when they were creating words that it became an interference. Interesting. So for my first level of Arioso, I said, let's learn from Mary's study right. and let's not demand linguistic highest level of thinking. Mm -hmm. Let's just stick with tuneful highest level of thinking. Can you create a tune and forget about words for the time being? So neutral syllable. So it could be neutral syllable, or I like humming. I think humming is even easier for children than neutral syllable, bum, 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 or ba, ba, ba. I think if they just, keep your mouth, keep your mouth closed is secure. You're safe. Right. Your mouth is closed. You're not really singing. You're not really singing. Um, and so I call it hummingbirds, and I have hummingbird finger puppets, and that's, you know, we all use puppets to distract a child from the self-attention, and they're, they're not so self-conscious if, if it's the puppet that's doing it, not them. So I use a, a pair of hummingbird puppets, and we have conversations. I call my conversations questions and answers, but not in the same way Mary did and the Kodai people do. When they use question and answer, they mean you're going to make up words. When I'm doing questions and answers, I'm simply saying, I'm going to do the first half of a tune and I want you to finish it. And what that does is it causes me to have an open-ended to my first half and you instinctually will finish with a closed-ended on yours. So it'll be, if I, if I sing something to my class and I say, I'll be the hummingbird and I'm going to ask you a question. I purposely do not end on do. And I say, now, make up an answer with your hummingbird. And they go, and they almost always end on do. Because they understand it feels complete when we land back on this home tone. And by the way, for those of you wondering, because I know you are, you're talking about sometimes the whole class at the same time doing that. Yes, and this is part of the process as well. The, the earliest attempts at this, like everything, I think, if you think of the echo songs, sure. when we first do the, the echo group. songs, it's the whole class. To, until they're comfortable with the concept and they're comfortable with the hummingbird and humming, let them be in a non-threatening environment surrounded by lots of other people doing it at the same time. Then gradually, just the boys, just the girls do the answer, just the front row just this side of the room, 
Just the people with sandals. Just the people with birthdays from January to June. Just the people with birthdays from July to December. And try to go from the whole group attempting it to a smaller group, to a smaller group, to a smaller group. And what about group versus group doing it? Like one does the question, one does the answer. Yes, I would divide the class in half and say this half, you do the question. This half, you do the answer. But after you have done it, you have led the question a few times, don't you think? Yes. After I've led the question and then the whole class does the answer, then I would divide the class in half. Okay. Say, now this side, you do the question, and this side, you do the answer. Or, boys, you do the question. Girls, you do the answer. Girls, you do the question. Boys, you do the answer. Whatever. Um, and then gradually, over a number of weeks, you'll get to, in, in, in the echo songs, I say it's usually not to the third or fourth lesson right. that you would go around and start asking individuals. In this case, I think it might be the fourth or fifth or sixth lesson. Right. You might say, let's put the two hummingbird puppets on two children and say, this child A, would you do the question? Child B, would you do the answer? And see what happens. Here again, I've talked a little bit about accompanying this activity. And I think it would be a good idea to have set up some kind of a tonic and dominant ostinato in the background that they've heard enough times that they can anticipate, oh, here's where it changes somehow. They don't understand what that change sure. is in words, but they do know I've, it I've never had feel. a kid ask. They don't notice either way. I mean, they don't say, oh, you're using, you know, you're using your auto harp today. But they sense tunefully no, 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 no. a no. shift. What I mean is you don't need to worry about introducing no. You don't have to worry like about this. explaining to them right. what it is. They will sense yeah. a shift. I just say you're going to say, but by the way, what keys should they be singing in? Guess what keys? I'm going to guess F and G. How about F and G? It sounds good. I think that's a safe choice. Yeah. And if you want to know about that, read a book, go to a training. Yeah. F and G. Okay. Uh, so what do we have? We have the teachers doing a preparation for a couple of weeks, several weeks. When the students are first invited in, it's just going to be humming or a neutral syllable. I like answering to, the question. And I call I use this concept of question and answer, but not the Kodai way, because I'm not using words. Right. I'm just doing open-ended, close-ended. So my With question an is open-ended. And I like to have accompaniment, and I'm just using tonic and dominant for right now, and that helps encourage arioso singing right. as opposed to recitative singing. So we'll do this. I'd say if you're in kindergarten, just stick with the hummingbird kind of activity for half a year. And when you think they're ready for another challenge, and they, most kids are now on board, this is so non-threatening. Yeah. I think you'll get a lot of children on Absolutely. board at, with this first yeah. phase. I think when people struggle with Arioso is they've leapt ahead to phase mm -hmm. two and three too soon. And can I want to speak to that just a little. I'm glad you said that because I've encountered a lot of people who have said, um, oh, my kids are great. We just go right into the um, using words and we have this. And what I'll say to them is, that's you have to decide what you want to do, but I want to challenge you that maybe you are skipping something and you're not getting the same product. It's like planting the corn too soon. Maybe. And I think it depends on the age of the child. Because if I'm a teacher and I want to go into my fourth grade class and try this for the first time, I may not need to do so much yeah, phase one because they've learned songs right. for the last three years. Hmm. And they already have tune. And maybe now they can go sure. ahead and create with words. But I'm talking about... But if we're really first, doing first grade and they yeah, have limited repertoire... most people are. I would not start with words. Yeah. And by the way, you can move to the other neutral syllables... After humming, yes. Oh, any, yeah. all of those. But that's what I'm saying. So when you're saying maybe half a year, we'd go through the cows, you know, the if cow puppets, sure if you want. The, the whales, the... That's up for the teacher's creativity. Sure, sure. 
But I'm just thinking about the neurotic people. Uh, Where are my neurotic people at? Because I'm right here. Then, uh, <laughs> let's suppose we have been doing this for several months and okay. we're ready to try the next challenge. We go to phase two. And phase two is the way I introduce words. And let's go back to the Mary Getze studies again. In the first study, when they had to create words, it distracted them from the tune. But in the second study, where they just used known words, it did not distract them from the tune. So my phase two is as I introduce words, I want to introduce known words. So what I suggest is the teacher will have taught some Mother Goose poems. Um, I use uh, Jack Be Nimble, Jack Be Quick as my first one usually. Jack Be Nimble, Jack Be Quick. That's my first half. And I go, that's going to be our question. And the answer is going to be, Jack jumped over the candlestick. So I'm going to make up, I'm in Arioso land, and I have to sing words in Arioso land. So I'll sing the first half, and then I want you to sing the second half back to me. So I might go, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. And then they can make up whatever they want. Jack jump over the candlestick. Maybe well, that'll be their tune. They'll all be making up tunes at the same time. It'll be chaos. It'll be fantastic. Um, I call that woodshedding. Yeah. When you're improvising in a group, everyone's just trying to make up whatever they think will sound good, yeah. and the person next to them is doing something different. I call that woodshedding. I stole that idea from the barbershop quartet people. <laughs> then, if you've done it with me as the question and them as the answer on a poem like that, then you might start doing smaller groups again, like we talked about, and then individual children. Um, and then do that activity for the rest of kindergarten. Bring in another poem. Bring in Mary Had a Little Lamb, or bring in Humpty Dumpty, or bring in whatever you want, and divide it in half, then have half of the kids do the first half, making up a tune to go with it, and half the kids making up a tune for the second half. So they get the sense, and then always reverse. Some yes. teachers, I forget, they yes. forget to reverse. Because you don't want this side of the room always to be the open-ended singers, <laughs> right, and this right. side always to be the closed-ended. Right, right, right. I right away say, okay, switch! And then you do the question, and you do the answer. So everybody gets an experience of both open-ended and closed-ending. Um, and I think if you did that all the way through kindergarten, you did the first half of the year just on hummingbirds or neutral syllables, and the second half creating tunes for Mother Goose poems, right. you'd be ready for phase three in first yeah, grade. And they'd be great at it. And they would be great at it. I think the big, the big uh, uh, step forward is when we make up tune to existing words. I think that's the, the real key for how do you get words and tune to happen at the same right. time. And it was a missing link. I don't think I did that. I went from neutral syllables right to making up words. Right. But when Mary's study showed us that they could sing the echo song just fine with words or without words, I said, that's the missing piece. We should be making up tune with familiar words. Okay. So the third phase, are we ready yes. for the third yes. phase? The third phase, then, if, if you've waited till first grade to do this, then in the third phase, now they're ready to have two parts of their brain functioning at the highest level at the same time. The highest level of thinking in tune, making up original tune, the highest function in words, making up original sentences, words, language. Put that together. Can you make up original language and original tune all at the same time? Think of that. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a lot to ask a, a little six-year-old brain to do. But that's when we start our conversations. Unlike the way the Code I2 people do the question and answers, because the children are only creating words in the Code I question and answers. They're not creating tune. I want them to create tune and words in my question and answers when I'm at phase three. So it's different from the way the Kodai people do it. So I might say, sing for me, or sing, tell me in singing. Suppose we're in Arioso land, and they want to know uh, three things that you're going to do after school today. 
So they go, well, I'm going to go down to the skateboard park and I'm going to do the new ramp and I'm going to try not to get too many bandages on my knees. Okay, but were you singing that? Right. Uh, yes. No. <laughs> so hopefully we're not going to encounter that situation if I've spent all of kindergarten making sure they know what singing is. I, I shouldn't be at phase three if the child does that response. That means I went to phase three too soon. So when I ask them three things about, so we will understand it in Arioso land, then I expect them to sing back their answer. Now this three things about came up also about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. I used to say, make up a song about your favorite toy. And sometimes I'd get some nice little singing sure. about it. And sometimes it would be Lego. <laughs> yes, exactly. And well, Lego is not much of a tune. No. Um, and having a chat with Lily about it one night, she said, well, just ask them to tell you three things about and so that became our introductory sentence, three things about. Later on, when we found those little cubes. Uh, uh, Rory Story Cubes. Rory Story Cubes, R-O-R-Y, yes. Rory Story Cubes. Uh, we use the same thing. So you, these di there's different sets of dice you can buy that have pictures on them. They're awesome. And the students throw the dice, and they pick three. And that's like saying, tell me three things about what you're going to do after school. Mm -hmm. Now I have three dice and I go, make up a song about the three pictures. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good vehicle sure. for getting children to spontaneously make up words right. and make up a tune to go with the words. I think teachers should look for more techniques like that. Rory Story Cubes, the three sonic. things about, oh, the sonic the ordering sonic your guy. lunch. Yeah, we found that on YouTube. That guy that orders his, his lunch at the Sonic restaurant. And, and sings the whole thing. Sings the whole thing. Yeah. And we could certainly show that to a class um, and then ask the class, what if you were going to this magic Sonic in Ariosa yeah. land? You know, people have made these things, and Adam Britton has one that's like, a sonic order it's picture cool. that the kids like to use. And I've seen some that list all the different right. items that you can order. Right. And you can sing it. So and they don't have kids worrying about, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, right there it says ice cream or sundae. Like hamburger. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful. I think the idea of a menu yeah. is just the inspiration they need. Ordering from a menu is sure. a great Arioso idea. Yeah. And you know, on the Facebook page, teachers are Lots now finding huge success with this. Everybody's intimidated by it at first, but more and more, as more and more teachers are attempting it, they're finding out that students get on board fairly fast, and the teachers are starting to come up with really, really interesting and creative ideas for this. So I highly encourage anyone that's interested in more ideas for especially phase three Arioso to check out the Facebook page. Yeah. Search or to share them. Arioso. Oh yes, and please <laughs> share, share yours as, yeah. as you come across the, the Sonic idea and the idea of putting up a fake button to order yeah, was from the Facebook yep, page. Absolutely. I saw someone do that on the Facebook page. I've been doing it ever since that's and it so works cool. like magic. Of course it Especially does. as I'm trying to get some of this to continue in upper elementary grades. Yeah. So I use the Sonic game with my fourth grade class. Yeah. That, that grade is perfect for the Sonic yeah, words and melody. It. Ordering lunch. And, you know, there are a lot of people doing, um, I think it's interesting, like centers with Arioso. And uh, we were saying, like, in, in my class, I have, I stole a Playmobil thing from my children, like a castle. And the rule there is play, mm -hmm. but everything must be sung. Yes. This is a castle in what we call Kingdom of Sing. My own children did that. Mm -hmm. We had the Playmobil castle and they made operas yeah. as they were playing. I mean, it's so distracting for them they don't realize they're doing it we do puppet the puppet theater is it's like four kids are there at a time two of them are the actors one is the director oh uh. and two are the audience and then they rotate but what it is is the director rolls the dice 
says, here are your story cube things. Um, it just gives them something to do, really. And then the two puppeteers make the story, the audience claps, then everybody rotates. That's a great idea. So there's so many great things. But basically the bottom line is give them the place to do this thing, right? Yes. Give them the opportunity and, and the guidance. And that's yet another good idea when you're doing those kinds of stations, how Arioso can be one of the stations. Yeah. So okay, great. so, I mean, we can and we will talk about other things in other episodes, but there's a couple practical things I'd like to ask you um, that are coming to my mind, but also that people have asked me. So one is, this is the easy one. How do you stop a kid who's going on and on? I just got to tell you, I don't, I just stop them. Yeah, I start clapping. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Right. And sometimes I'm I say, I'm not finished yes, yet. Yes, exactly. I say, yes, you, you are. know what? When you see me in the hallway later, I want to hear the rest of that story. Yep. <laughs> now it's time yeah, to Yeah, it's a it's, it's touchy thing. And of course, you don't want to discourage no, no, them from no. doing it. And you say, you are, I'm loving what you're doing, but we've got 24 kids in the sure, class and I've exactly. got to hear the rest. Yeah, exactly. Can I hear the rest of that during lunch? Yeah. And I think that it's, I think it's just further evidence of what a natural inclination this is for a child to sing. And once you get them started, you can't stop them. You know, you and I mentioned this yesterday too. Here's another thing that shows up in the early ones. Um, a child will pick and make up a little phrase when they start adding words let's yes. say they're in first grade at phase three and they'll make up a little phrase with a tune and they start repeating that phrase over and over and over and over and over again i call that a mantra yeah um, and it's a little phase i think it's before they're ready to make up a lot of sure. words and melody sure. they make up one phrase because it's easier and they they enjoy it yes. and you know evidence that it brings pleasure to them is that they continue the mantra and yes. they do it over and over. if it wasn't bringing pleasure to them, they wouldn't keep doing it. Right. <laughs> so it must be a pleasurable thing for Absolutely. children to make up a word, and, yeah. a words and tune, and sing them over and over and over again. Yeah. I, and I think uh, I've said this too, and I've said this to millions of people, but I'm going to say it again for the three people who might not be thinking this way yet, and that is instead of doing what teachers are prone to do, and often this is a good thing, overanalyzing something. But what I uh, want to always say to people is just do this even if you messed it up even if you only did recitative for the first five times you did it do it because it's in the doing of it that you will see in your kids a response of playfulness that is very natural for them do, do you know what I mean? I do it's much easier for them yeah and it's I just say just spend some time watching kids in a way you don't normally do like I always say if I'm standing in my hall at school it won't be long before I see a kid who I have to yell at for running down the hall or skipping, but singing as they go or on the playground. So what I encourage people, this is a natural thing that John realized is happening. He didn't make up the idea of Arioso. It's that you see it in a child and now what we have to do because the culture doesn't do this as much as draw it out of them. It's natural in children that have tune in their lives. No, that's it's what I mean. It's <laughs> not natural for the children that don't have tune. And we in have their a lives. lot of kids now who don't have tune yeah. in their lives. So that's what I say. We're replacing we're as we are in many things in education and in music, we're remediating for the loss of what used to be happening when yeah. we were music makers. And so I say that to people, don't get so caught up in am I doing it right? You do want to do it right a little bit, but more for this one, do it. Yeah, and we also, I think teachers are used to 
the kind of college level structure to things, you know, as we talked earlier about why they're afraid of improvisation, because in college it was presented in this sure. <laughs> very structured way and you had to be able to land on these notes within harmonic functions. We didn't have the skill set to do it. But these children, there are no rules. Right. Arioso is just talk to me. Right. And I'm not going to correct your grammar. I'm not going right. to tell you that's supposed to be good instead of well. I'm not, it's, it doesn't matter at this point. It is, what matters is that you make an attempt to express your musical thoughts. Mm. And they get better the more you do it. Okay. I feel like that's such a good place to end. And yet still, I want to ask one more question. That's me. Because it's so now that we're kind of. It feels new to be saying about the accompaniment and maybe doing that from the beginning, uh, which is what I love about your work, that it evolves and it's kind of like, we figured this out, you know, over many years of doing it. Um, this is a question I get a lot, which is in the beginning, when we're first having these things without the accompaniment in the preparation stage, uh, and I know we have talked about this, but just in case, uh, if there's a kid who's not in head voice, if there's a, this is like, so people say, do you correct them? Me personally, I never do. No. Never, right? So. Any response is the right response. <laughs> Even if it's no. Even if it's no response. <laughs> in the beginning stages, when there are going to be many students that are not in head voice yet, they still haven't come to that yet. But that doesn't mean we don't let them attempt arioso. Right. The, the concept of original thought can still begin. And as they develop their ability to use their head voice, then they will move their arioso up into head voice as well. Hmm. But I wouldn't say if their arioso is in chest voice, no, 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 you don't do it until right. you can do it in head voice. You know, right. Uh, that, just, just let it be. Yeah. Let, yeah. But we have talked, you and I have talked about um, that it's not bad to try to reset it for the next kid yes. you said sometimes you just and go if you're play. accompanying this it helps because it, but it, you wouldn't be in the preparation part that's what i'm saying remember we said you said i might just let them sing anything yeah. in the beginning so you i still it. would in between children establish a tonality okay that's what i mean yeah like i've struck a bell and yeah sometimes i used you. to say uh dominant tonic is the mm -hmm. way i say thank you so five one so a child would sing and i'd go blum blum yeah. And that would be Go grounding the them back one. to the key of F. Right. So whatever this kid just sang, I'm in the key of F going 5-1. Mm -hmm. And now the next child has that tonality, hopefully, in their head. Okay. And will sing in the key that I'm hoping they will. All right. And then the last question for now, because I can't promise there won't be a million more. The people who are listening who are saying, we're always up against time constrictions. And so we say uh, solo singing whenever possible because... Most learning takes, takes place. place when the child sings by him or herself. Right. So we know for sure pitch exploration is a great time in the workout, the first steps workout, to give each child a chance to make sound <laughs> and sing. And in the echo, the fragment singing. Arioso, if I'm understanding correctly, is more like if I'm going to be assessing, if I'm going to try to give them uh, solo opportunities, when, when it's more complicated, it would be more... A group of children right a smaller group of children four to six kids this class meaning I don't think I think there are a lot of people would say I don't have time to give everybody the whales and pass them around if I have 35 kids in the class what say you to that do you understand what I mean I do I know that was a long explanation I don't think you need to have every student do arioso in every class. this lesson but there should be some way of keeping track. No, uh, absolutely. Because for the assessment, it has to be done individually. Yeah. It can't be done four to six kids at a time. No, I don't, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. Excuse me. What I meant was, 
in this class, these six kids are going to get a chance to sing by themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just I was keep wondering what that look was I on I thought you meant four to six at the same <laughs> no, time. No, 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 no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. <laughs> How can you assess if they're doing four to six at the same time? John, we almost ah. broke up over that for a second. You were giving me a look like... I totally get it now. Yes. yes. But I, yeah, maybe, well, but more than four to six, but... Well, I know there are people out there going, I have 40 kids. I well, can't. then don't. That's fine. Yeah. You know, when I'm doing the simple songs, um, part three of that First Steps in Music lesson, we have the, the period of time where just I'm singing it. And then there's the period of time that just the group sings mm-hmm. it. And then there's the period of time where I ask for solos, but I don't make every child do it. When right. I do the simple songs, I ask for volunteers. Right. It's the same thing. And I send home ask me sheets mm-hmm. to say, at home, perhaps, yes. you'll sing this for your family. But th- while I'm going to get solo singing out of the pitch exploration and that call, the call and response or echo songs, I'm only going to get solo singing for the simple songs on those children that want to do it. Right. And it'll be the same for Arioso. Yeah. I won't want to encourage everybody to do it. The problem is when I get to assessment time, sure. how am I go- I'm going to have to give a student a one, right. which is no, yeah. um, if they haven't sung by themselves. Mm. So it's a predicament. It's yeah. balancing how much are you going to do individual and how much you're not going to do. You do certainly, and the simple songs, when I don't say I require them all to do it, um, I've watched some teachers have some kind of record keeping that I think is effective. Chris Tromberg used the list of uh, eight songs that he was going to cover in first grade right. for simple songs. And a student could put a star next to the song in their name. He had uh, uh, Every class had those eight songs listed on it, posted on the wall. Right, so and they could just go So up. here's here, take, take a sticker and stick it next to your name Which for Frog in the Meadow. Yeah. And then there would be children, or maybe only eight would do it. The next week, who didn't do it? And that was a good way of record sure. keeping. You could see who had a star and who didn't. And then there might be a period of time where there's still six or eight that have not done it, but we're moving on, and we're now on the next song, and we're starting to put songs, stars next to song number two. And some of the children will say, well, I never got a star for the first song. Is it too late to still sing a song? No, it's never not. too yes. late to sing. And so eventually you might get all of the children on board by having a system like Chris's right. where they don't have to do it today, they don't even have to do it this month, but may- maybe by the end of the year, you can might... I, can I even take that one further? Yeah. Which I can see potentially could have problems. But let's say you were super on top of things. You could give um, 321 stickers, secret 321 stickers. So if you, John Firebin, sang and you were a three, and today my three color is blue, like when you get... That's a quick way of assessing. I don't have to write anything down. I give you the blue sticker. At the end of the day, I go to the poster and I say, here are the kids. If I need to write it down, I'm just saying. Because I saw somebody on Facebook, they gave out these gems. Did you see that? Everybody who sang a song, this is brilliant to me, gets a gem, right, uh, to hold. And you have to return it at the end of the thing, but you, you get the gem. But she was handing them out according to the rubric. They don't know that. Oh. Right? But she doesn't make it the same every time. That way you're not like, why am I always getting the red one? You know, but, and then what she did was as the kids were leaving, I think, if if you're the person who did this, I'm screwing it up. This is my interpretation. So it's like, as they hand it to me, I'm writing down what they're putting, what color they're putting the thing. I am so grateful for the Facebook I mean, are you serious with these ideas? Teachers come up with the best ideas. Yeah, because people are like, I don't have time to be writing it as they're going. And this person said, I mean, you can do it as simply as just record them and look at later. But this lady was efficient because it was, as they're leaving, they're putting the gem back and she's going like, blue is a two, you know? And so she's just kind of quickly writing it down. I'm just saying, that's a good idea. It's a good idea. So the thing I wanted to say there was, 
generally speaking in the workout with the tonal parts, uh, the one through five plus the last one, the song tail, one and two are, you should be able to get through every student, every class, theoretically, and hear them. But the simple songs the and Arioso will not, you're not going to be able to assess each student in solo. So in one lesson, in one lesson, excuse me. But over time, you must. You have to, you have to to be, be able cycling. to fill yeah. out the form. And I just, I just wanted to kind of clarify that because I think some people think, how am I going to get every kid to do Arioso by themselves no. every day? No, no, no. And it, that's not something we're asking them to do or saying is necessary. All right. Before we leave Arioso, I wanted to make one last point, another analogy okay. that drives home why we should do Arioso. And that is, in language, we don't say, learn the sentence, learn the sentence, learn the sentence. These are the sentences you get to speak. We assume that you've learned words and sentences, and now you can reorganize them and create original thought. But in music class, we say, learn the song, learn the song, learn the song. These are the songs you get to sing. Right. And we're missing the highest level of musical thinking. And if you want all of the other levels of musical thinking to improve, you have to challenge the highest level. Yeah. If you're not challenging the highest level, then the levels below it are not going to go as far as they can either. Right. So it's important that Arioso is included in every lesson, even if it's not very successful in the sure. beginning. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. The more they do it, the better they will get not only at Arioso, but all. Right. I mean, it's kind of, of like more bang for your buck with Arioso, yes. even if you're not doing it well. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, I'm so nervous. Nobody's, we're not there watching you. Right. That's what I think. Sometimes I think like, John's not here. <laughs> I'm screwing it up. This kid doesn't know it. The kid just thinks it's funny to And sing. it's more about making an attempt than making an accurate attempt. Yes. Um, this is another notion my, some of my Kodai friends have. They think that we should have the children only sing So Me until the intonation is perfect. perfect. They use intonation all the time as the criteria for whether to move on or not. I did not know that. Intonation. Until recently. And once those two sounds are sung with perfect intonation, we'll let you sing a third sound. And then when the intonation is perfect, we'll let you learn a fourth sound. And this is not how we do it in language. We don't say, say mama. And the kid goes, right. oh, I guess you don't get to learn another word till you right. can pronounce mama. <laughs> I'm not you know, coming back in this How does The intonation to music is pronunciation or articulation in language or enunciation in language. And the way enunciation or pronunciation improves is just do it. The more you do it, the intonation improves. And you don't hold back on the vocabulary to wait for the intonation, the, in, the, the articulation. We don't hold back on language sure. until the articulation on a few words right. are perfect. We, we, all of them improve, yes. and you let the language be as broad as possible. Right. And that's what we're going to do in music yep. as well. We are not going to hold back because, oh, Ray might be a little out of tune sure. if we let him sing a right. Ray. Or, or there's no tonal center. We didn't, you know, land. And you, it doesn't matter. Yeah. What matters is they make the attempt, and as they develop tonality in their head and they develop more tunes, intonation will refine itself. Absolutely. It's not something you have to wait on. Yeah. And I, and I love that idea and what I keep saying. It's something that's inside of them that needs to be cultivated and brought out by us. So I, I want to encourage teachers that way. Like maybe you don't feel like the best singer. Maybe you don't feel like, maybe you don't feel like the best improviser. Just do it with them. You're going to get better. They're going to get better. Um, this is a super worthwhile, you know, part of the, of the workout. And I'm just saying it's step five. It's part, part five. five. 
step five in conversational solfege is create kind of the pinnacle of the experience. I feel like everything's important in these workouts, but Arioso is not one to be skipped over. And it's fun. Once you finally get into it, the kids love it, you love it, everybody loves it. Yeah, so just do it. (laughs) Jump right in. Um, So anyway, thank you, Dr. Fireobin, as always. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share. You're welcome, thank you for sharing. We're just, now take it. We're just exchanging compliments. <laughs> so, woo, that was something else, right? Did you notice my genuine surprise when John talked about using an instrument in the very beginning of Arioso after the prep period? I've purposed to do that this year, and so far, everything has changed. Now, I always ask this at the end of the podcast, but no one has taken me up on it yet. I would love to dialogue about the podcast with you. Would you like to do that? Well, head over to the Tuneful, Beatful, Artful Music Teacher Facebook page or the Facebook page of the podcast on Twitter or on my Twitter account, which is at DocStrong26 on Twitter. So D-O-C Strong and the number 26. Meet me there. Let's chat. Before I leave today, I wanted to tell you exactly who is serving on our famed DEI committee, the group of people who are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the repertoire that we use. First of all, we have our chair, who I would like to thank for all her hard work. This is Emily Marek, who is currently the president-elect of FAME and a FAME teacher trainer. Joining us is Lonika Batiste, who is Assistant Professor of Music Education at the University of Tennessee. She is a Fulbright Scholar, currently in Brazil, co-chair of the Education Section for the Society of Ethnomusicology, and a member of the Advisory Council for Diversity and Inclusion for the College Music Society. Next up is Yuzi Brown, who is Professor and Chair of the Division of Creative and Performing Arts at Morehouse College, and also a former member of the Morehouse College Board of Trustees. Yuzi is past president of the National Association of Negro Musicians and is a researcher, GIA composer, and author. Patricia Campbell is Professor at the University of Washington. From 2008 to 2018, she served as the chair of the Board of Smithsonian Folkways. Dr. Campbell is also an author and ethnomusicologist. Manju Durairaj is the lower school music teacher at the Latin School of Chicago. She is adjunct professor at Vandercook College of Music, past president of the Greater Chicago ORF chapter. She is both FAME and ORF certified and is an author. FAME teacher trainer Betsy Green is past president of FAME. She is Kodai and ORF certified and one of our authors from GIA Publications. Rachel Grimsby, who is also a FAME teacher trainer and author with GIA, is currently a PhD candidate at Michigan State, who is fully certified in Kodai and ORF. Karen Howard is Associate Professor of Music at the University of St. Thomas. She is both an author and a presenter. Owen Hughes holds his master's degree from the Hart School, where he received both FAME and Kodai certification. Owen is currently serving on the FAME Board of Directors as FAME member at large. 
Cynthia Romo is a FAME-certified music education specialist at Camino Nuevo Charter Academy, a Spanish inclusion school in Los Angeles, California. Bill Russell received his master's degree from the Hart School of Music, where he received his FAME and Kodai certificates as well. Bill teaches pre-K through fifth grade music in East Harlem, New York City. Natasha Verholst is a music teacher and master's degree candidate at Silver Lake College, where she received her first steps in music and conversational solfege levels one and two certifications, as well as Kodai levels one and two. She is an enrolled tribal member of the Bad River Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Indians and a descendant of the Menominee Nation. She is also a Native American and American Indian music presenter. I feel very fortunate to have every member of this committee on board, and especially I'm grateful to the Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are serving not only as members, but who are guiding us and instructing us as we learn and grow together. Because many have asked, I wanted to mention that the Black, Indigenous, and people of color on the committee will be compensated for their time. If you have more questions about the work of the committee or you want to ask questions about the podcast or anything about music teaching, please email me at tunefulbeatfulartfulpodcast at gmail.com. Our podcast is generously supported by the Feyerabend Association for Music Education. Visit us at feyerabendmusic.org. Find out more about Dr. Feyerabend and his programs and resources at giamusic.com slash and of course, our Fire Robin Fundamentals page on Facebook, where we have a community of over 10,000 teachers. Listen, if you're enjoying the podcast, I'm not going to lie. I would love it if you would subscribe and give us a great review. If you're not enjoying the podcast, pretend like you didn't hear this part. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope what you heard helps you keep doing everything you can to create a more tuneful, beatful, artful world. <laughs>